podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name's Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi, Guthrie. And uh, you want to introduce our wonderful guest today? Yeah, we have a guest. We have Chinu Chari. He is a UX researcher, and uh, he works at BMC Software. And uh, we met Chinu at um, in Austin when we gave uh, our we went down to Austin not too long ago and did a behavioral design workshop. And Chinu, you were in the workshop. And you, we even had someone, I don't know who took the photo, took a great photo of the three of us. Uh, I like that photo. And we talked there. We we had got talking, I think, at a break or something about uh, conversational AI and chatbots. And that was when uh, I think we came up with the idea that we should have you on as a guest. So say hello. Hey, everyone. It's an honor to be here today. And I'm really excited to discuss a little bit more about uh, what I've been doing so far in the conversational AI space and why UX matters a lot when it comes to designing AI-based products. Yeah, I, I, I think this will be an interesting conversation. Now, I do want to mention, you, you also, you're involved with the UXPA group in Austin, right? That is correct. I'm actually the vice president of the Austin UXPA chapter. and. Yeah. We've been pretty active for the past couple of years, and uh, we're we every the first Tuesday of every month we always have a meetup, and then the first Wednesday, uh, bi-monthly we actually have our Austin UX Book Club, which I used to host before passing it over when I uh, was promoted to VP, and we're also in the process of uh, planning some uh, workshops for the coming for the coming months, so. It's really exciting time in the Austin UX scene. Yeah, so if any any of you are uh, listening or in Austin, you should check that out. And I think a lot of people listening know, but just in case they don't, UXPA stands for User Experience Professionals Association, which is an international group and has chapters all over. All right, so... I guess let's see how do I how do we want to start this conversation about conversations? So let's um, uh, let's let's start by what is yeah in uh, like what what are what are we what are we talking about here? When we talk about like AI chatbots because that's like or a if very we talk about if we use the term conversational conversational AI. yeah that's that's a very uh, that's like sort of a buzzword. It's it sounds pretty specific so. Chinu, what, what, how would you describe if so? If you, if you're at a, if you're at a party, yeah, and someone says, "What do you do?" and you say, "Oh yeah, I work, uh, I do UX research on conversational AI," and they look at you blankly and say, "What's that?" What would you say? Yeah, yeah, that absolutely. So, when, uh, when specifically talking about conversational AI, I usually kind of phrase it as think about having a conversation with not a human, but some sort of uh, automated entity, uh, maybe a, uh, a, a robot, it could be uh, uh, an intelligent assistant. And basically the whole purpose of it being conversational is that it's a back and forth exchange of information to reach an outcome of what, what the user wants to accomplish in a task, whether it be ordering uh, ordering food like pizza, it can be something about checking a bank account, or or making or 
getting information about uh, uh, about like when the movie times are, setting up appointments, etc. Uh, it's really about that uh, asking something for information, asking them, uh, making the request, and just following a turn-based, step-by-step process uh, exchange between you and the uh, uh, the in- intelligent assistant on the other end. And you know. Before we started our podcast episode today, I unplugged my Alexa because mm-hmm. I figured at some point I'd I'd say yeah, like when I'm talking to Alexa, and then and then we Alexa would start talking to me, and we'd ha- we'd have that on the recording. So I just want you to know I unplugged it. <laughs> uh, so when you're di- so, what do you think? All right, what's what's like the most one of the most interesting or weird um, UX research studies you did in this space? Well, I don't know about weird, but I can definitely say interesting. Okay. So what I like uh, a lot of my uh, a lot of my work in the conversational AI space, especially from a UX research perspective, is fairly recent enterprise. So one of the projects that we were exploring it uh, was um, we were trying to explore uh, wh- how whether personality makes a difference or not in uh, the experience, and so basically we were testing out. Um, uh, we were actually testing out like either uh, uh, based off of dialogue, um, one that was just kind of plain "How may I help you?" versus another one that actually explained a little bit more about how they can help you, along with. Uh, kind of some some feelings that showing a very proactive willingness to help, and what uh, what I found when moderating the sessions with these studies is that users tend to prefer the uh, the chatbot that actually displays a little more personality, and uh, especially in in the context of customer service, um, that be- because it felt that they uh, that the that the bot actually is trying and it's actually caring about the customer. And they really like that feeling that I got as opposed to just being cold and robotic and just stating how may I help you without any sort of context as to how the bot can help you and how, how, uh, how it may work. So I have a, so I have a quick question. Mm-hmm. So like when we're, when we're talking about chatbots, I mean, mm-hmm. when I go and fill up, my car with gas mm-hmm. there's a little thing it's like insert card would you like a receipt would you like you a mean car like wash? there's a, you are you talking about a a, a voice or just messages no. on the screen no messages on the screen okay is, would you consider that a chat bot is that in the future as people become used to sort of chat assistance would you expect that to be you know it does that qualify as a chatbot, or are those, or is that something simpler? Is that like a step-by-step instruction of some sort? Yeah, that is a great question, actually, because, it, you know, um, there are, so I wouldn't say it's necessarily a chatbot, in the se- because when, I, uh, when it comes to chatbots, they can, uh, they tend to actually have a lot more, um, more, of uh, more free, uh, more apparent free flow, as opposed to uh, a menu-based system. Now, something to really keep in mind, though, is that um, actually a better way to really think about it is that 
there are actually different ways that uh, a chatbot can be designed. There can be what you just mentioned with the gas station, where it is more rule-based, where you have a predetermined uh, predetermined options to select to progress through uh, through it. But um, and then of course there's the more natural language process-based type of chatbot, which tends to be your typical instant messenger experience of typing a message and getting a response. What I would say though, when it comes to the gas, uh, when it comes to the gas station example, is that I wouldn't necessarily say that it's conversational in this because in the sense that it, the dialogue doesn't feel like it's really tailored. It's really speaking to you. It's just stating like even even in question format, it's just stating like kind of the basic things of uh, 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 enter your zip code or or would you like your receipt or something like that in in just that procedural format. But the dial, I feel like the the real key difference between that and even a more 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 rule based chatbot experience is that. I feel like there's less emphasis on how you design the uh, on the dialogue design, and it just feels like kind of that generic uh, uh, back and forth, step by step. You know, we last, I think it was last week, wasn't it, Guthrie, that we we talked to um, Michael Metz and Andy Welfley about their book, "Writing Is Designing." Um, Chino, yeah. do you know that book? Uh, I I just learned about it just now. Yeah, it just came out. I mean, I don't even know if it's officially out yet. So that's an interesting book that I, you know, it's not necessarily about conversational AI uh, or chatbots, but I think it definitely applies because they were talking in there and, and you, you mentioned about personality. So this reminded me of that because they were talking in there about um, tone and you know they had done some, they did some great examples of, of having a conversation, you know, with an informative tone versus, uh, oh, I don't remember the names of it. I should have it in front of me, but um, just about you know the different tone you can use, which to me sounded somewhat of what you meant by personality in terms of, you know, how helpful are you being? How much extra information are you giving? And that kind of thing, and uh, I, I, I just I really like the way they they kind of got people, at least me, thinking about some of these questions and issues. I think we sometimes forget if you're not used to writing for this kind of conversation, then you may not realize kind of all the nuance nuances that are I- involved in doing it. You know, it's not just how you were, it's not just the words and the order you put them in and, you know, making sure you explain things clearly, but there's all these other things like, you know, personality or tone. Um, and it gets complicated. I mean, I think it gets complicated. And, and you know, you, you do this, uh, you work also, you know, at a enterprise level. So I'm always curious about how, how mature have we gotten about you know, guidelines and style guides, because you you probably have like multiple people. If you're in an organization that's creating these, you probably have multiple people working on it. And you don't want, you know, sometimes, depending on which conversation it is, 
it has this personality, but sometimes it has a different personality, and that's just because two different people were writing. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a really important point. And I feel like right now, uh, there are a couple of things that we're, try- we're, we're kind of learning the hard way right now, especially in the enterprise space. And that is that it's really important if you're trying to, uh, it's really important to make sure that one, you have your, the purpose of the chatbot narrowed down to something to as a specific, uh, to as much specificity as possible. And, uh, and then the, uh, the other thing is like, it's also really, and this is something that we are still exploring and is the importance of, of being able to uh, think about um, uh, really thinking about the the flow of of the exchange between the user and the chatbot when it comes to uh, what what they're trying to get out of the chatbot, because what what tends to happen, I feel like one of the one of the biggest things that um, uh, that a lot of people would end up uh, jumping onto chatbot as a solution to solve a lot of the IT problems, but uh, and we always have, and a lot of end users have this expectation that AI is magical, that you know it knows everything from the get-go. And even the developers, when they actually create um, the, uh, uh, when they start creating the AI products, they there's this assumption that all you have to do is train once, train, uh, put in the training data once, and just uh, let it go, and it will do everything. But that's not the case at all. In fact, if anything. It's a very iterative process when it comes to uh, uh, when it comes to building a product, both from a developer side as well as from a design side. From the developer side, you have to really be able to um, be able to really uh, keep track of of how the chatbot is learning the information, how it's actually able to capture what is quarter call intents, like how well the uh, what uh, intents are basically what the uh, uh, chatbot interprets as what the user is trying to do. Like, for instance, if the user is trying to request a uh, password reset, then the chat uh, uh, the chatbot would interpret uh, could actually have an intent called password reset. Or, um, or if they are uh, if they're asking about, or let's say, a, let me give you an example about weather. If the user is trying is asking about the weather in Austin then the chatbot would take this information and would put it down into a gist intent called um, check weather. And uh, basically what, what the, what's really important is that uh, the developers are able to really pay attention to uh, how the chatbot is matching the intents with what the user is saying, otherwise known as utterances. Mm. And, and, and then from the end, really being able to work and I think this is something that's really, really important, and something that I wish we are at the stage at right now, but I, but not yet, not quite yet, is better relationships between the designers and developers, where uh, where we're working closely, where the where the, the designers or specifically the content strategists are really think uh, are really thinking of are really being uh, thinking about the dialogue and really thinking about. Um, uh, really paying attention to what uh, and testing out what users actually would type in, and and then being able to communicate that with the developers so that they can be able to work smarter in design and think about you know what things to code for the in- intents 
as well as the data stores with the entities or how, how they get all the information like specific weather and whatnot. And, you know, yes, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I uh, so it's it's really I feel like in order for for uh, conversational AI to really reach its true potential, there really needs to be a synergy between uh, designers and developers because it's as much a design problem as it is a development problem. Yeah. So so Guthrie, is it okay if? Uh... Yeah. I get all all nerdy here. Go for it. nerdy. <laughs> well, because I'm just I'm curious about <laughs> two things about the re UX research side of it. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll I'll give you both questions, and then you can decide what order you want to tackle them in. So, sure. or if you even want to tackle them, one <laughs> is, um, you know, in in non-conversational UX research and maybe some of the, you know, more traditional kind of UX research like screen design or page design or mobile design or, you know, whatever. Um, UX research in some, in some organizations is, has a really prominent role and a long history and other organizations, it doesn't, uh, I mean, we see this every day and uh, you know, in some organizations, you know, of course we're going to do, you know, user research and UX research. And in other organizations, they'll, you know, you ask them if they do much UX research and they say things like, well, you know, we always have uh, a few members of our design team go through it before we <laughs> send it out. You know, I mean, it's just there's so much variability. So I'm wondering whether in this space, in the conversational AI space, what the view of UX research is, like whether it's, oh, oh my gosh, yes, we've got to do UX research, or whether it's kind of, there's a lot of variability like there is in the non-conversational space. That's question number one, don't answer yet. Mm -hmm. All right, question number two is, are the research activities, the research methods that one would use, you know, if, I, if I'm a UX researcher that's used to doing uh, regu you know, UX research on websites and apps, how hard will it be for me to transition into doing UX research on conversational AIs? Is there, are there some, you know, is it very similar or are there some, you know, methodology differences I need to know about? Yeah, yeah, both are great questions. And let me answer them uh, in the, with the question number one first. So to answer that, I've been really fortunate to be working with designers and even uh, product managers who are uh, who are really curious to learn more about uh, how users feel about design. So most of the um, this uh, how we actually uh, test these uh, test them is we actually have envision prototypes that simulate the experience. And um, to kind of stick with question number one, still. Um, uh, so yes, like I've been really fortunate enough to, uh, be part of an organization that doesn't just ship like a, a, uh, a release immediately, um, at least, especially with chatbots. Uh, and, um, they, every time they actually have like a prototype or a prototype, there's always a lot of, uh, a lot of the designers I work with are really curious to, uh, test it out and, uh, figure out the findings. And so, um, what, so what I do with is uh, I actually 
so question one and two are kind of blended together. So I can just go ahead and blend them together. Yeah. Um, so so the way the way it works with uh, uh, with the research process with uh, chatbots. So I uh, I do a lot of uh, I've been doing a mixture. I've been primarily doing a lot of unmarried usability testing using usertesting.com as well as uh, doing some uh, remote moderated sessions. And um, so one of the things to really keep in mind when it comes to a chatbot experience is that unlike a, um, a testing out a web experience or a more uh, or a mobile app experience, the experience, uh, chatbots tend to have a very linear feel compared to the uh, to a website or a mobile app where it, a lot of the time uh, for the latter two, you're spending a lot of time testing out, how they are are navigating kind of at a global level so it definitely mm-hmm. has more of a free-flowing flow but with chatbots because of the linear nature and the turn-based nature of it really what you're trying to test for is you're trying to test for how people interpret information on the screen and you're also trying to interpret how much information is too much information on the screen and then you're also trying to uh, think of, and then you're also thinking about things like um how they feel about what they're uh, what they're reading, like the, the personalities, and then also how the options are laid out, and whether at a micro level how they're able to navigate through the options, and also how and and of course there's also how uh, how they would actually what what they would expect to get out of the chatbot, and what kind of responses they expect out to get out of the chatbot, and then what they would type in. So with all of these in mind, the tricky part about testing uh doing doing usability testing with chatbots is that you have to uh you want to make sure that you're getting like you know off, you're getting authentic responses and you're with and you're and without having to lead them because with the linear experience it can be really easy to fall into the trap of leading them so you really have to carefully create those questions such that um you're you're setting a clear goal of what your what the user needs to accomplish in the task, but you're not giving away too much information. So, um, uh, but you know how much information is too much information is kind of a tricky thing, especially with how linear it is. So a way that um, we've uh, that uh, I've been working around this is one uh, making sure to have questions about what they see on screen, just kind of an overview of having them describe what they see on screen, typical of what you uh, what you find with other uh, with other usability studies too. But it's a it, but it's really really important, especially with chatbots, because you want to be able to you want to be able to get that that first authentic response of what how what they're seeing on screen, how they interpret the information, and then. The other thing is uh, making sure that uh, for the tasks that um, one that the the tasks are are kind of are more micro level and uh, just and making sure that um, like for instance let's uh, and, and really setting up a scenario so that in uh, setting up a scenario of uh, for, for the user to kind of just prime them and then kind of think in terms of the task itself is something that's really key, uh, that's also really key and being able to uh, just uh, 
set out the the requirements uh, and then being able to set out the requirements. Like for instance, let's say I'll give you an example. Like let's say that um, the 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 user needs to request uh, um, uh, certain things. Uh, has to make an order for uh, a new computer. So uh, you, you want to make sure that. Uh, so this is the overarching task: ordering a new computer. But um, if you just leave it at that, and they're going through the chatbot, and they're presented with so many different options and everything, they can really get lost. So. Um, and like for instance, if they are, uh, if they have the options of selecting uh, their, uh, if the overarching task is ordering a computer, and then, but they're presented with things like, um, you know, which version of Microsoft Office do you need, or or uh, the the dates or stuff like that, and without, but and uh, the users will feel like kind of lost and feel like you know, am I am I doing the task right? But um, so, you know, it's really important to be key about things that or uh, making sure that you set the requirements down, like the date that they have to select, the uh, the version that they have to select, and also uh, and other other sort of requirements, but not telling them where to find them. You're, you're being able you want to be able to you want to be able to make sure that uh, given the requirements, they're able to navigate through them. And uh, it and making sure that that you're not nothing is given away. So one way of kind of addressing that is making sure that the that the uh, the requirements are not at the very top or very bottom of, yeah. of the menu. That's one yeah. way of doing it. Mm. And also uh, other things too, like um, uh, making sure that uh, you want to make sure that um, that's one big way of doing it, and um, and and then and there's also the there's also the matter of of ma making sure that uh, whatever whatever menu item that you're you're showing is um, that you also have like different different hotspots, especially with Envision, that kind of um, that uh, doesn't really that um, kind of uh, shows like a different way of uh, di different way of doing things. So it's it's definitely something that we're still trying to solidify, but it's something that really works well. Yeah. Well, and and I would think one thing that would be tricky too is that sometimes if you're you know when you're in real life when you're interacting with a conversational. AI or with a chatbot, I mean, you don't really want it to take 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, so, mm -hmm. you know, but a user test, you know, usually you'd like to collect more than three minutes of data. So that's, you know, so that, that challenge between making sure you're, you've got enough that it's worthwhile doing the test, but also making sure it doesn't become unrealistic, right? Right, There's right. Got to be a trade-off there. I would think too that um, it, it it have you found it? You know, if you're using user testing or some an unmoderated testing, where people, you know, you're not there with them, right? They're just following the instructions and the tasks and and doing the think aloud technique. Is it hard? Do they tend to talk less because they're in conversation with this? chatbot you know i mean normally in in a unmoderated test like that you know they're very comfortable with, with 
thinking out loud and keeping up that constant patter about, you know, oh, okay, now I'm going to look for this. Oh, wait a minute. That's not what I expected, you know, because, because nothing is usually, there's not a lot of conversation going on. I mean, maybe they're filling out a form, but, you know, a lot of times they're just, they, they are doing, taking most of the action. And in this case, you know, there's a conversation going on. I would think that tends to make the, the user quieter. Yeah, well, that's actually a great question. What I will say, so I there actually haven't been there haven't actually been too many, actually very very few cases, like very small, like only I can think of like three users out of. Man, I've done so many usability tests on uh, on chatbots through usertesting.com, but it's like I've there has only been like three that have actually been completely silent, but the rest of them they've <laughs> the actually. So the rest of them, they've actually been really good about talking aloud and actually uh, talking aloud throughout the tasks and performing yeah. them. That's not the issue. The real issue, especially in the earlier in the earlier studies I've conducted, was that because of the fact that they, uh, when they're talking aloud and they're performing the task, they get into that flow of just performing the task itself without having to stop and take a look at what they see on screen and whatnot. And that's actually been... Uh, one of the bigger challenges because, yeah, even if they're performing the task, how do they actually feel about the screen? What are they actually looking at on the screen? That was that's something that gets mi that gets missed a lot when it comes to um, when it comes to most moderate unmoderated usability studies. And so um, and so one worker and you know the the thing with usertesting.com is that sometimes uh, when a lot of users they uh, because of the fact that the uh, instruction window panel is, uh, you know, it's a very small panel that's off to the side. And yeah. there's this habit of getting into that flow of just performing the task itself. And even with the extra questions. And so one one way that I, I, I've actually addressed it, and this is where I work, where I work closely with the designers on, was to actually have pop-up menus in that, uh, within the prototypes themselves as transitions to uh, or let the users, before they actually start a task, they actually have to take a look at the upcoming screen and actually describe. And that actually has worked. That's actually worked really well. And they've actually took the time to actually describe what they see on screen. And it made a big difference to the experience. You that's interesting. So uh, for since some people listening may or may not be used to doing unmoderated Testing uh, with usertesting.com, you know, with, with a tool like that, typically what happens is the you you have different tasks that you're going to have them do that you've set up ahead of time with the tool. And those tasks appear, you know, in a small window. And then they read, you know, so they'll read, okay, here's your next task, do such and such, such and such. And then, you know, they tend to, concentrate then not on the task instructions now they're concentrating on the the rest of the screen of the prototype or the product they're testing and what you're saying is you actually build in to your prototype it's almost like a mental reset for them you you bring up a screen uh, even before the next task starts that says whatever it is you want to say um, about the task and that actually then will make them concentrate on that rather than get so lost in the flow of what they're doing that they they forget what 
exactly they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the key yeah. thing was, and the key thing is that uh, we had to make sure that whatever was written on whatever uh, whatever written on the uh, on the uh, for the panel when when uh, when creating the questions matches well with the pop up. Uh, right. pop-up window. So making sure that there was consistency between the two and kind of having that that uh, redundancy was really key to really having them stay focused, stay within the confounds of a particular task, like a uh, describe what you see on screen task before moving on to the next task. And then uh, so it's it's so it, that actually made a big difference when it came to uh, getting more responses other than just getting, uh, uh, than just seeing whether they've been able to form, form the task and just getting responses afterwards. And I think this is super, super important with chatbots because a lot of the, a lot of, there's a lot of invisible design, like really, really micro level design differences when it, especially when it comes to conducting an AB test style or uh, uh, if you're trying to compare different versions. And, you know, one of the biggest uh, hurdles really, really early on with uh, testing with, uh, by uh, uh, unmoderated is that because of the fact that they get so deep into the flow and they don't really, they're not able to really describe uh, what, what they preferred or the different, or even whatever uh, differences they've noticed, so um, it's it's really important to have those types of questions along with whether they're able to uh, along with the t uh, along with the task instructions to so that you can really understand their true sentiments and and also to be able to see how well it matches with what they're actually doing on screen and and find discrepancies. Yeah, and I would think you know when you're when you're going, you know, one of the things that. Um, that I, it's, I, I don't work a lot on the, you know, conversation interfaces these days or voice interfaces these days. I, I've, I actually worked on them a long time ago. Um, but one of the things that I think is, is that people may not realize is that you can't rely on a visual memory. So e I mean, if you're doing a, a, a voice conversation and you don't have any screen at all, that's even more true. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, if I'm in conversation with anything, whether it's, you know, Alexa or whether it's um, the the phone, you know, the tree on the phone menu, you know, I and they and they give me, you know, press one for this, two for this, three for this, four for this, five for this, six for this, seven. You know, I, it's like I don't remember what I pressed before. I don't remember what number two was. I mean, you know, you just your auditory memory is totally different than than your visual memory. And if you have a, you know, if I'm doing some kind of desktop or mobile app, I may not even have to rely on memory. It's still sitting right there in front of me. You know, I can click and see the menu again. And even though the conversational chatbot that we're talking about now there might be a visual component right mm -hmm. i mean it's there's a i can see the conversation it's still um because it's in conversational mode memory is different and i and it's 
you know, the, the entire conversation isn't right in front of me. Even if I can scroll up, it's still not the same as having a whole screen in front of me. And I think that it's easy, in, in my opinion, from the research I did ages ago, it's um, easy to forget where you are, what you did, what you said before, what the, the other side, you know, what the device said before. Um, it's When it scrolls off of you, it's out of mind. And that really does change, you know, what people do next. It it's it's just a different experience. And I think if you haven't designed that kind of experience, it you may not may not realize the the difference in that. Yeah, that's a really important point. And actually, I actually, you know, it, it's interesting that you pointed out like the memory part of it, because I actually remember doing a study. Um, uh, multiple studies on the concept of a multibot, basically having different chatbots that uh, you can you can access through one conversation. Like one chatbot could be focusing on HR, one chatbot for IT, for instance. You mean and, I would be doing more than one chatbot at a time? Yeah, within the same screen. This is something that we were uh, exploring and experimenting with. <laughs> what did you find with that? Well, actually, so one of the things was that um, with the first study that we, we uh, that was done, what, what was what was found was that uh, we were we were comparing just a uh, one chatbot that has everything versus uh, having a uh, where uh, versus just having two different representations of uh, of uh, chatbots that focus on different things. Yeah. And on one screen, and what was found was that um, users tended to prefer, they didn't really care too much about um, which chatbot they were talking to. They just wanted to have their uh, their queries resolved, and they would rather have just one chatbot that that does everything. But the thing was that with uh, the backend technology that um, that we had. It was really hard to kind of um, because you have to feed in so much data and uh, uh, so much training data and also being able to get all the different reserves. It wasn't really entirely possible to have just um, one chatbot do everything, which is why they were uh, in spite of that first finding uh, that it was still they were still going towards a multibot. Uh, uh, multibot approach again, mm -hmm. but technology may change in the future. So, but until then, we had to figure out uh, a way to have a, a, a front end workaround so that it can be accommodating. And so, to further that, we were trying to explore if we're going to have a multibot, uh, if we're going to have multibots, how do we make it such that users don't feel lost in the conversation? And so, with a further study uh, testing it out, oh, one one area that we explored was one having uh, making sure that there are really really distinct uh, chat like chatbot uh, chatbot uh, mascot icons. That's one part of it, and the but the bigger part of it was that um, there was more transparency in the transitioning between the different chatbots as well as. Kind of um, uh, uh, widening out the previous conversation, kind of, kind of fading the previous conversation, and uh, we were testing that out. 
and what was found was that 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 difference made, uh, that actually made a big difference in the experience where users actually prefer, uh, the more uh, uh, distinctions between the uh, uh, between how the, the the bots are displayed in terms of the uh, uh, in terms of the icons as well and additionally with the help of having it uh, having the previous conversation with the other chatbot being uh, being faded out uh, with the new one it uh, it made a big difference when it came to focus like users could remember exactly which chatbot they were talking to. Well, it kind of reminds me of, I mean, isn't it, isn't it like having a conversation with more than one person at a time? So, yeah. you know, if I have, you know, two or three people mm. I'm in conversation with mm. and, and we're talking about different things, <laughs> right? And they're not talking to each other, right? I'm having a conversation over here. I mean, right now, for instance, we're having a conversation with the three of us right so Guthrie can chime in but he's hearing everything we're saying and so it's a three-way conversation but if I'm having a conversation with Guthrie but then I pause that and then I have a conversation with you Chinu on something else and you two can't hear each other and I'm going back and forth that could be you know that could be a little strange if I have two yeah. people in front of me and sometimes I'm talking to this person over here and sometimes I'm talking to another one but they're not talking to each other and it's on different topics, right? That is a little odd. So, okay, yeah. can I can I just, just sure. make sure I got this then? So, one thing to tell, you know, when we when we think about chat assistants and we think about, you know, AI and, you know, you're going to have a friend who's a software comp component. Um, it's usually just one entity. And so, is the thought, actually, why don't we have, like, a room of helpers. So you're in like the customer support, you know, virtual, you know, it's it's not a, you know, call because it's it's text, but you know, so if you have a sales question, you can be like, "Hey, I have a sales question." And then SalesBot is like, "Yeah, here, what can I help you with?" It's like, "Well, I was thinking about upgrading, but I don't know about my current plan. You know, I'm having this problem over here." And then technical service bot shows up. Um I'm just I'm wondering if so 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 like even though uh so so it's not just the one persona but maybe one very intelligent bot that knows everything everything but you're sort of kind of in and out yeah yeah that's that's actually the, the the idea behind it like exactly as you said where um you'd have um you'd have like different different bots with different specialties to uh solve different parts of the problems so and which, which do yes. people prefer? Do they want one very, very, very omnipotent, intelligent bot, or do would they rather have specialized? So bots? I, so ideally, ideally, um, a user. So to really answer that question, you have to really. It really depends on the context and use case. I would say if if I were to make a general statement, ideally, users would would really desire and want that one chatbot that knows everything. Um, but, um, uh, and by everything, it really, uh, it really depends on, uh, how, uh, on the context. Like if, because, you know, one of the things that to really, to, to really answer this, you have to, uh, 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 you have to realize that, you know, users have these expectations that this, cha uh, this chatbot is a genie or that, or except, uh, that knows everything. 
uh, and uh, or this uh, miracle worker that knows everything. That's kind of that expectations users have. But when they start interacting with it, um, and they try to try to uh, try to interact with it, they're, they end up being really disappointed because it doesn't really answer everything that they wanted to answer. Or if it does, it ends up being very very shallow. So this is where, like, and this is what a lot of uh, chatbot designers have realized, is that if you're going to build a chatbot, it better have a specialty, like, um, uh, and it should really have a special focus. Such, like, for instance, uh, Capital One's chatbot, Eno, focuses on checking everything with their bank account, and it just focuses on that and nothing else, like, or, like, weather or, 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 uh, or uh, ordering pizza or whatnot. Same with the Domino's Pizza chatbot focuses on mainly ordering pizza, and um, and then or even like my own my own work in uh, my previous work with Olivia.ai, where the chatbot's purpose is to provide advice on how to save money in various areas. And within that, that domain in itself is very very um, has a lot of information. So. It's really important to make sure that uh, the chatbot's purpose is really, really well defined, and uh, so that one, it gives a good strategy when it comes to uh, building the experience, and 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 two, it makes it a lot easier for the developers to be able to really build the algorithms to really focus on the uh, depth of that experience, and being able to get that quality. You know and this. So, yeah. Yes. This. Go ahead. Finish, and then. then and uh, so. And so, but, you know, one thing to really keep in, so, you know, so there, so ideally what, what ultimately people really want is that they want a go-to chatbot for, uh, that knows everything for a specific, specific situation. Yeah. And within the enterprise space, it's really tricky because there's a lot of, it's uh, unlike consumer facing chatbots, enterprise chatbots tend to be a lot more, they're, Enterprise problems tend to be a lot more complex with a lot of moving parts and a lot of uh, a lot of gates and everything. So it can be really tricky when it comes to accessing information. But for consumer-facing chatbots, uh, that's a different story. Might be a little easier. You know, this reminds me of. I mean, this 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 trade-off between being very specific. You know, having a universal solution versus having a specific solution. It's a trade-off we've been dealing with technology. Yeah, you know, it's been a technology question for decades and decades. I mean, I'll give you two examples. Um, a, a while ago, there was this, I, when computers first were coming out at all, computers that uh, anyone besides specialized scientists might use, there was a lot of conversation about do we want a uh, universal computer, you know, one computer that does everything, or or do, or do people want a, a word processing device? That's what it was called, right, for doing uh, text work. And then, do they want, you know, a calculating device for doing spreadsheet work? Um, and you know, there were these debates, right? Or do, do, do people want a lot of separate devices, or should it be one universal computer? And and then it, it tended to go towards the universal computer, right? So then you had, you know, a computer and a, and a, a big um, 
desktop, you know, workstation or server, and it, you know, you ran all your programs there. However, look at all the devices that people have, right? They have a desktop, they have a laptop, they have a tablet, they have a phone, right? They have a calculator so, you, on you their know, desk. Yeah, you can't, right. So we, 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 you know, we tend to think, oh yeah, one universal, but then people break it up anyway, even though the, and even though, you know, your phone, your mobile does a lot of stuff and there's apps, it's still a separate device. And even going back even before computers, I don't know if you've ever seen the the wonderful ad. Um, you can find a picture of it online, uh, of the Sears and Rob Sears and Roebuck. That was what Sears was called, Sears and Roebuck catalog. Mm -hmm. I think this is from. Wow, I don't know. I I should know the date, but I mean we're talking about pre World War II for sure. Um, it was a a uh, universal um, motor. And you would buy this universal household motor. Oh, yes, and you would good buy the motor and then you would have attachments. So you would have the blender attachment, the vacuum attachment, the <laughs> you know, the fan attachment. It was like one motor and then you just put so you didn't have a fan and a vacuum cleaner and a toaster. For those of um, well, hold hold on, time out. Yes. One. You yes. would not use a universal motor for a toaster. So we'll just start okay. there. Okay. All right. But I'll take that. It is out. true that the uh the 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 motor that is in your house uh that is basically almost identical. I believe it was the sort of the Nikola Tesla electric motor. It's yes. functionally identical in fans, yeah. in blenders, yeah. in electric cars, uh uh current into motor thing spins it's a very it's a very simple and efficient device so you right. could use it but not for a toaster because that would be... well, all right the toaster was wrong the toaster was wrong <laughs> but i agree the toaster was wrong i was running out of examples but you know but... this you know there uh, after you finish i do want to tell you yeah. that that there is a very niche market that applies this principle okay to tools that? Go ahead, and then I'll tell you what it is. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, originally when the electric motor became, you know, when someone said, you know, my goodness, we can sell this to consumers, it had, you know, the, it, it has multiple functions and people will want one of these. The initial idea was that it would be kind of a universal machine with attachments. And then, you know, now we don't have that, right? We have, uh, you know, how many electric motors do we each have in our house, right? A lot. Um, running all these different devices. We don't think of them as, uh, you know, dozens of electric motors. We think of them as I have my fan and I have my hair dryer and then I have my vacuum and so on. Um, and so I think this, this there's, all, you know, we, we often, we come back to this question a lot when we have new technologies. Do we do one universal uh, that can take on many tasks or do we break it up and and they're their own thing? And it, it's it's a question that just cycles back around. All right, Guthrie, what yeah, are you talking about? Check this out. So what? in the, for example, uh, Amish and Mennonite communities, and I, I'm, yeah. I'm not exactly sure where the line is drawn, but they can, they're obviously, you know, they're on the farm. They need, they need, they're doing a lot of work and a lot of stuff. And so they need power tools. But... Yeah. As you know, can't use electricity. Right. What do you do? 
What so do do? what they do is they use compressed air okay. to run a wide oh. variety of their devices. It's not electricity, but okay. essentially you have the compressor that supplies the compressed air. And then with that, there's a whole multitude of different heads that you can then put on to run the drill or run the things. saw or run the, right? So, oh. so, so, there, so that actually principle with the one motor running everything does exist, except it's just using compressed air instead of electricity. So it's just interesting that, you know, in that situation where you're limited and you only have one input. Yeah. That, so is there a reason though that someone isn't marketing multiple compressed air devices to do the different things? It's just probably not a big enough market for a bunch of different devices. I would imagine. But if you yeah. go, if you get, uh, if you get one of the, uh, the, you know, I was gonna say go online, but no, not really. Um, <laughs> There's a know, catalog. Yeah, if you if you look at the catalog, and I do believe I've paged through one. Uh, yeah, it's I really have, amazing I how many um, devices you can hook up to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So, Gino, this has been this has been a lot of fun, and I think that the the work that you're doing, the research that you're doing, is is. Uh, is really interesting. Tell can, if if people have a question for you and they want to get a hold of you, is that okay? And how should they reach you? Absolutely. So I'm very very active on LinkedIn. You can look me up via my real name Srikanth S R I K A N T, and it also has my nickname Chinu C H E E N U Chari C H A R I, and I'm also on uh, Instagram at Chinu and I'm also on Twitter. Um, I actually, my, my Twitter name, don't ask me why, it's at Minstrelman91. And additionally, I'm also on Medium too. So I've written a couple articles. In fact, one of my latest articles was on uh, the scripts and schemas and, and how it relates to chatbots. So oh, great. Well, uh, you know, if, are... you can, if you can send me, why don't you send all that to me and I'll put it in the blog post when we uh, post about the episode. Absolutely. We'll do. We'll do. That's great. Thank you so much for joining cool. us. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll look forward to uh, uh, the Chinu chatbot. Is there going to be a Chinu chatbot I can talk to? No, I'll just talk to you. <laughs> you, know, it's, uh, you know, um, there's only one me, so. <laughs> <laughs> Good. All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Thank you.